Welcome to the VBPH Sermon Podcast. This week we'll be featuring sermons from our recent International Bible Conference in Chandler, Arizona, hosted by the Door Church and pastored by Joe Campbell. We're making these powerful messages available to both our free and premium subscribers. We'll return to our regular schedule next week. Thanks for listening and for your support of world evangelism. We hope you enjoy these messages. Praise God. Amen. What a privilege it is to be here in Chandler again. And a special thanks to Pastor Tory uh, for uh, all that he's done. But special thanks to Pastor Campbell for not going home to be with Jesus yet. Thank God for him and Connie, warriors and statesmen and examples to us. Can you say amen? Special thanks to all those that looked after them both. And uh, praise God. We serve a good God. What a great fellowship. Let's give God praise. Amen. Father, we thank you. Praise you. Hallelujah, Lord God. We thank you for your grace. Great ministry this morning. Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25. I'm going to believe God this morning. Amen. I feel like God gave me direction for this morning and this evening, and we're going to just ask God to help us. Matthew chapter 25. A new trend among the extremely rich. And it is, they seem to be deciding that they're not going to pass all their wealth on to their children, but that rather they're going to begin to give it away while they're still alive. And I've read some articles, um, various wealthy people are starting uh, to view this differently. What they're going to do is they've decided it's not always a good idea for children to get handled fortunes. And these kids, you know, they're, they, you know, they're being called trust kids, spoiled brats. They never learn to work or accomplish anything for themselves. I'm not really sure how the children of these moguls are processing the news, but it all sounded very insightful and even responsible to some degree. And then I, I caught one that... that you know, that, that I read one that caught my eye. So here's Warren Buffett. The man's worth $87 billion, at least when this was written. So he's very concerned that too much money could have unintended consequences on his kids, so he began to disperse his money. In an act of great financial restraint and tough love, decided his kids would only inherit, are you ready for this? This is tough love right here. They're only going to get $2 billion each. That's next level, man. That's... And apparently Bill Gates got even tougher. He has not divulged. But rumor has it that his kids will only get 10 million each. And this is what he said. This is what he said. His restraint is going to mean that they will have to find their own way. I mean, what, what other choice would a kid have? I mean, what, what other choice would a kid have that gets 10 million bucks but to find their own way? Now, while these numbers and examples seem ludicrous... 
I want to say that this principle is genuinely a very, very wise principle. And it has to do with a balance between generosity and love. Because you, you really do have to balance this. And I want to tell you that God in heaven understands this. Our God is the most powerful, the most wealthy, the most amazing being in the universe. He loves his children. And he wants to bless his children. But his generosity has to be balanced by his love for us. And I want to take a look at this principle this morning, Matthew 25. I'm going to skip through this parable a little bit. Let's read first verse 14 through 16. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. To one he gave five talents and another two and another one, each according to his own ability, and immediately went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and likewise made another five talents. Down to verse 20. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents beside them. His Lord said, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your, of your Lord. In verse 29, for to everyone who has, more will be given. And he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. I want to look first of all at the stewardship principle. One of the great determining factors of life is whether a person views themselves as an owner or a steward. We know what ownership means. It means something belongs to us, or we feel something belongs to us. We have certain rights or entitlement because of that. Stewardship is mostly a foreign concept to, to Americans. It means we are taking care of what belongs to another. And this was very common in, the, in, in, the, in biblical days, that wealthy people in those days were like wealthy people today. And they want to play. They want to go on their yacht. They want to go do other things. And yet they need somebody to take care of their money. The closest thing perhaps that you and I would have to this would be banks. A bank is a place where you put your money and you may want to save or invest but the bank then, uh, they don't own that money, but they're stewarding that money. Amen? So they're going to take that money and they're going to lend it to somebody else. They're going to promise you a little bit of interest, maybe. But they're certainly going to lend it to other people for much more interest. And then we don't mind that. You know, we, it, we don't begrudge banks their big, beautiful buildings. We don't even begrudge the bank manager having a nice car and living in a better neighborhood than we live in sometimes because they're stewards and they're you know they're taking care of our money we don't begrudge that as long as they remember that is our money and you say amen and if you decide to go in and make a withdrawal the last thing you want them to do is the backslider shuffle right You've seen the backslider shuffle, right? And when you talk to people about 
the tithe, they go, well, you know, I know I should, but, you know. And if they did that to you, you'd call the police because that's your money. And they're taking care of your money. And verse 14, the Bible says the kingdom of heaven is like a wealthy man who in our parable would be God and his servants, which would be us. And it says that he gave them money to steward. And the word in the King James, New King James, is talent. He is not talking about the ability to play the guitar there. That is a term, if you look it up, it is a measurement. It's a weight. A talent was a certain weight of gold or silver. And he said that he gave his servants... A certain amount of his gold, we'll call them gold coins, five talents. He gave another one two, and he gave another one one. And it had nothing to do with what color they were or what country they lived in. It wasn't racism. It was according to their ability. Because any wealthy man with servants would know that this guy's this guy's pretty good with money. This guy's pretty good with responsibility. I can trust this person's character. This guy, <laughs> not so much. And that is exactly the way God sees the human race. It says that this wealthy man went away and he told them in the book of Luke, do business until I come back. They were to use the money to be profitable to the master. You know, that's a great job. That's a good gig, man. Being a steward of a wealthy individual is a good gig. When Joseph the slave became the steward of Potiphar's house, that was a good job. And then when, of course, he was, uh, you know, framed and in the prison and he decided he was going to be the best prisoner and he kind of became the trusted employee or prisoner and, you know, that, that has its advantages. And then when he's raised up to be the steward of Pharaoh, my goodness. And so just like a bank manager, you know, they, you know, they, they usually dress nice. They, they might have, you know, a nice vehicle or a nice place. I'm sure that when Joseph was uh, promoted to be steward or prime minister of the entire planet, he had a new chariot with some spinners maybe, you know, maybe... <laughs> You know, heavy bass system in the back. Who knows? It's a good gig. It's a good gig being the steward. When we get saved, we need to understand that this is really what it's all about. Jesus is saying, you need to understand the way the kingdom of God works. The way God views this. God is a wealthy master and we are his servants. And all that we have has been placed into our hands in stewardship. This room is divided. In, in many ways, we could categorize this room. But I would say one distinct way we could divide this room is there is a distinct division between people who believe that and people who don't believe that. You either believe that or you don't. You either believe that God owns everything. Say everything. everything. He owns everything. He owns 
the clothes you're wearing, the seat you're sitting on, the, the car you drive, the house you live in. He owns all the gold and all the silver. He says, it's mine, saith God. And you either believe that or you don't. And if you believe that, it really does affect the way you live life and the way you make decisions. Because not everybody believes that. And there's people that begrudge God this. And the kingdom of God says very clearly, we were slaves to sin. We were bought off the auction block of slavery. We were on our way to hell. And we became slaves of God. Servants of God. We don't like calling it slaves, but that's exactly the word in the original. We are stewards of his house. What an amazing privilege. And God does not begrudge us being comfortable, and he doesn't begrudge us prospering. He's not trying to get anything from us. For goodness sake, what does he need from you and I? What, is, what does he need from me? He says, if I was hungry, I wouldn't tell you. Every beast of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. The silver is mine and the gold is mine. And we have great opportunity and we have great latitude and we have great ability to, to enjoy this and benefit from this, especially just living in the United States of America. If you've been anywhere, this is why people are, are breaking into the U.S. Because they want an opportunity. Being a Christian means that we understand the stewardship principle. So I'm going to look secondly at the ability principle. One of the great struggles we have as believers is we have these questions like, if God loves us, why don't we have more money? I mean, say amen or oh me. I mean... Like, like, if God really loves us, and we hear all this about God, and he's the, you know, the wealthiest being on the planet, and we are his children, well, how come I'm not doing better financially than I am? And the answer really goes back to the opening illustration and the title of the sermon. It's a battle between love and generosity. Because the problem is, when it comes to money, sin nature causes many people to compromise what they know is right. Kind of like the man who called the church office and asked in a gruff voice if he could speak to the head hog at the trough. The secretary said, who? The man repeated, said, I want to talk to the head hog at the trough. The secretary said, sir, if you are referring to our pastor... You will have to show more respect than that. You cannot ask to call, talk to the head hog at the trough. You could ask for Pastor Smith or Brother Smith, but you are certainly not going to refer to him like that. The man said, okay, I had a million dollars I was going to donate to your church. Hearing that, she said, well, that being the case, hold the line. I think the big pig just walked in. <laughs> You know what the problem with that is? That's, that's like too many people. A lot.
lot of people are prepared to prostitute their convictions when the almighty dollar is at stake. It's one thing to sign the ministry pledge for faithfulness to church till all of a sudden the opportunity for more money arises. Hello. It's one thing to say, here am I, send me, Lord, until that threatens the bottom dollar. The problem with money and fallen human beings is, sadly, most fallen human beings cannot handle repeated attacks of prosperity. And if you don't believe me, just Google articles that describes to what happens to most people that win the lottery. They absolutely destroy themselves. Or Google what happens to the latest ghetto punk who gets drafted by the NBA or the NFL. Never had two thin dimes to rub together in their pocket their whole lives. Suddenly have multi-million dollar contracts and they destroy their lives. Or musicians. Can you say amen? Hence the current trend. Some wealthy parents are careful how much they plan to give their children. One article was referring to trust fund kids, derisively called trustafarians. I like that. Conjuring visions of spoiled, unmotivated young adults, many wealthy parents worry that giving too much to children will destroy their drive or give them poor money management skills. The wealthiest woman in Australia, her name is Gina Reinhardt, and she inherited wealth from her father who discovered a certain type of mining and she's been reasonably good at um, building this wealth, um, but she lost a legal battle with her children over her father's huge estate. She called her three eldest children slackers who were manifestly unable to handle their inheritance. So this destroys families. Gene Simmons from you know, the 70s you know, band Kiss, he's the bass player with the long bloody tongue, if you're old enough to remember that. He came from a poor immigrant family, formed the band Kiss, and said of his children, every day they should be forced to get up out of bed and go and work and make their own money. So this is what's happening to many of these multimillionaires. They're, they're beginning to rethink, if I love my kids, should I be that generous with them? because I'm going to destroy them. One man said he's not leaving any of his millions to his son. If he's capable, he can make his own money. If he's not, then he will just be wasting my time. Now listen, I'm not advocating this. I'm just telling you that even sinners are beginning to see this. Because the Bible says that a righteous man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. So this was to be built into the Hebrew culture that wealth was something God would love to entrust to us 
And we, if we're responsible parents, need to teach our children and grandchildren about wealth. But back to the premise of the sermon, the issue with God is whether he can trust you with wealth and whether he can trust me with wealth. Let's, let's keep it at, at that for a second. Because that really does explain the disparity, even in the church, between you know, good people that love God, that are filled with the Holy Ghost, and constantly struggling with money, constantly having problems with debt, constantly making foolish decisions. And I remember Pastor Mitchell, he said, prosperity, in his opinion, is a grace in a man's spirit that enables him to make right decisions at the right time with the right people and the right circumstances. On the other hand, poverty is the lack of the ability to make right decisions at the right time with the right people in the right circumstances. I pastored a man for many years. And this, this guy, I loved him like a son. But the only time he could live for God was when he was in prison. I mean, this went on for years. This went on for the better part of eight years. He would go to prison. He was told when to get up. He was told when to exercise. He was told what work to do. And he was told when to go to bed. And it and, and, and started over every day of his life, every day of his life. And he would go to prison and he'd get saved. And he'd start a Bible study. And he'd be fruitful. And he'd become trusted. And then he would get out of prison, come home, impregnate his wife, get arrested, and go back to prison. I mean, before long, she had way too many kids, man. <laughs> Poor woman. And then finally... He never got out of prison. And I thought, you know what? If I were God, and I loved this guy, and that was the only place he would serve me, I'd probably make sure he stayed there. What would you do? I mean, it's heaven or hell, right? And there's a lot of people that live in financial prison their whole lives. Because it says he gave to one five a five-talent income, he gave to another a two-talent income, and he gave one a one-talent income according to their ability, meaning he was well aware of their character and their attitude. And if, you're, if, 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 you, if you were a loving father and a god or a, or a wealthy person, and you realize that this human being, if I give him any more than a one-talent income, they're going to die and go to hell what would you do? And what was the problem with the guy with one? Let's talk about that. That guy that had five said, man, I made five more. Well done. Well done. Be thou ruler. One parable says, be thou ruler over five cities. You know how much money, you know how much revenue comes in in five cities? But the one that had one I knew you were a hard man. I knew what you were like. I, I knew how this works. Yeah, I know how this works. Gave me this talent, you know. Well, look, you know, one talent, you can be all jealous if you want, but that, I guess it's worth tens of thousands of dollars. If you're a slave, 
You get trusted with that. I mean, that's, that's an upgrade. How many of us got an upgrade when we were born again? You say amen? Oh, but no, no. No, jealousy. Oh, I see how this works. Oh, I get it. Huh, favorites, yep. Hmm. Racism, yeah, okay. Prejudice. It's my name, isn't it? No, it's your brain, moron. <laughs> this, guy's, this guy's attitude's classic. Oh, I, I, I knew you were hard, man. I knew it was going to happen. I knew it was going to happen. You're going to give me this money. And I'm going to have to work hard, right? I'm going to work my butt off, and then you're going to come, and you're going to want some of it back. That's exactly what he said. You reap where you have not sown, and you gather where you have not. I'm going to work and work and work. I'm going to come to church, and these IRS agents called ushers, you know? They're going to be coming along like Nikki Cruz with the milk carton. Then come on, they're ready. So, nah, forget it. And you know, the owner didn't even argue with him. He said, what? You did what? He didn't even, you know, he said, you knew, you knew I was going to want some of this. Of course he's going to want some of it. Can you say amen? amen? Of course he is. That's why I gave it to you. I could have hid it under my bed myself. I'm blessing you, man. I'm putting something into your hand. You're going to raise your kids. You're going to buy a home. Right? You're going to raise a family. You're going to, you're going to wear some decent clothes for the first time in your life. And of course I'm going to want a return on that. Who wouldn't want a return on it? least you could have done is put it in a CD and let it gain 3% interest. You lazy slug. What's wrong with you, man? Take it away from him. Give it to the guy that's got 10 He's already got 10. The rich just keep getting richer. Oh, yeah, of course they do, because they got a brain. Like you're supposed to have grown one by now. I think God has a right to a return. He's, he's given you the power to get wealth. Before I got saved, I was so lazy. When I was a new convert, I was lazy. I lost my first job as a new convert because I was lazy. It wasn't persecution. It had nothing to do with the fact that I was a Christian. Man, I had to relearn economics, man. The key word is ability. God holds this intention. His generosity and his love are two tension factors in how he treats every person in this room. John Wesley spoke of the irony of redemption and lift. Because he reached poor people. He reached people like us. He reached people that had screwed their lives up in sin. And he noticed that when people get saved, then all of a sudden... They learn how to work. And then they learn how to tithe. And then God opens the windows of heaven. But as riches increase, so will pride and anger and the love of this world and all its branches. And people backslide. And the problem is in Western nations, man, 
We're not even taught how money works. Esther Campbell talks about being in Malaysia and how five-year-olds are taught how money works. He tried to buy a little girl a doll one time. She rebuked him. I said, why you spend your money? <laughs> they, ta- they teach them how money works. What? I think it's a strategy from hell in the West that we don't even learn. You know, like an insurance agent got a call from an excited woman. I want to insure my house. Can I do it over the phone? Agent said, sorry, but I have to come and see it first. She said, you better hurry because the place is on fire. (laughs) That's America, man. That's that's America stupid right there. They're stupid, and then there's America stupid right there. Day late and a dollar short, man. That's your nickname. Oh, it's day late and a dollar short. You ever have those guys you were hanging out with? Uh, always forgot your wallet. Forgot your wallet again, didn't you, bro? <laughs> hand to mouth. I'm not even going to ask you to raise hands. Nothing in savings. Don't even know what a Roth IRA is. You think the, you know, I'm not even go there. <laughs> all credit, all consumption. That's us, man. Look at verse 24 through 27. And he who had received the one came and said, Lord, I knew you were a hard man. I was afraid. You wicked and lazy servant. See, the problem with many times working together with poor financial skills is an unwillingness to honor God. And it ends up destroying this servant in, in, in his life. Cast the un, verse 30, cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I don't think God wants that for anybody in this room. But the issue is individually Because we see God's intention is that he wants to give wealth so that we can prosper. He rejoices to see those who are responsible, able to make it work. Very happy to allow them to increase. It's the ability principle. So I want to close then real quickly with the advancement dynamic. As I was a young pastor, I probably 25 years old, I was at a conference just like this. I would have been at the altar during one of the seminars in the morning, and I heard a leader say, God is looking for people he can trust with lots of money. That changed my life. Because I said, God, I want to be one of those people. I want you to be able to, tr- to trust me with finances. Because like I said, the Proverbs 13.22 says, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. It's world evangelism today. And this, is a, this applies at every level. New convert, established disciple, young person, older person, pastor, pastor's wife, 
small church, large church. All through the Word of God, we see God reveal himself as a father who desires to bless his children. And as God began to help me with this, I began to realize that we serve God who has a particular dynamic. We serve the God of more than enough. Once you understand stewardship, once you understand who God is, who this being is, and his intentions toward us, and how he wants to be able to help us and trust us, there's another revelation, and that means God has no shortage. He is the God of more than enough. God wants you to experience that personally. This is not televangelism 101 here, okay? We're not talking about that. We're not talking about the abuse here. We're talking about what the Bible says. I will open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that you do not have room to receive. More than enough. There are billions and quadrillions and trillions and trillions of stars, and the Bible says he numbers them and he knows their names. That is more than enough. That's just a little more than enough. Can God set a table in the wilderness? The children of Israel derisively said, God said, oh, you want me to set a table in the wilderness? You're not happy with the manna? You want some quail, do you? Okay, all right. He whistles for the quail. They come in. 20 miles around, three feet deep. He says, you're going to eat quail. You're going to eat quail every day. Not one day, not two days. You're going to eat quail till it comes out your nose. Because that's not hard for God. It's the God of more than enough. And when you begin to tap into this, I want to say that you begin to see evidence of this. That God is simply looking for a change in our character. All of you know Chris Hart. We all love Chris Hart. He wasn't always real lovable, man. He got saved in a revival that I preached in Farmington, New Mexico in the 80s. I became his pastor in 1990. He was a piece of work in those days, man. Remember when he came in, he had a big old beard before, you know, beards were trendy like they are now. The old white t-shirt, slob, you know, and he's just a cocaine freak. His wife got, got saved, and he's coming along begrudgingly. And he finally got saved, and, you know, when I became his pastor, he was 90000 U.S. dollars in debt to the IRS. That was, that was a few decades ago, man. That'd be a lot of money today. That was a heck of a lot more money back then. Penalties and interest were kicking in, man. And he wanted a pioneer. And I said, good luck. <laughs> good luck with that, son. I said, I'm, I'm happy to work with you, but you're going to have to pay this debt off. And it took years for him. I remember they had a, before it was digital, they had this 13-column ledger. He had his every penny divided between, you know, what was going to go to debt and what was, you know, going to go to his bills. He always tithed, and out, across the top he put out or die. And I remember sitting across from Chris and Paula Hart. They're weeping. They're saying, Pastor, why does this hurt so bad? I, said, I don't know, but I have a feeling 
It's because God wants you to never do this again. It was a character issue. It was sloppy business. It was being disorganized. It was living on credit. He began to believe God, and he paid his tithes, and he participated in world evangelism, and slowly, and then, boom, all of a sudden, the floodgates of heaven opened up. I mean, he was getting, he was getting uh, debts forgiven by the hospital. He, he had one Mormon guy you know, give him a job at, at a local Target, and he, he made like $5,000 in, in one or two nights. And he owed the guy some more money, and he kept going back and saying, listen, man, I want to preach the gospel. You've got to let me work this debt off. He said, you want to go preach the gospel? He goes, yeah. He goes, then I'm canceling your debt. You go preach the gospel. I mean, it was a miracle. He, he owed $60,000 to, to the IRS. He offered him six. The lady laughed at him. You've got, got to be kidding me. He said, you're asking for a miracle. He said, absolutely I am. They accepted it. He had like 40 days to come up with 6,000 bucks. He didn't have a dime. Like, what am I going to do now? And this is, you know, God just did another miracle. And finally he got it all paid off. He goes, I want to preach. I said, okay, where do you want to preach? I want to preach in Kayenta on the reservation. I said, you're a white boy. You can't. You look like Elvis, man. You can't. Said, what are you going to do about a school? What are you going to do about a place to live? So he goes to some uh, trailer park, uh, trailer mobile home salesman that he knew and said, look, um, I'm, uh, I'm not asking you for a freebie, but I just need you to give me a good deal on a trailer that I can go preach the gospel. The guy goes, I'll be right back. Comes back, says, listen, I have a double wide mobile homes worth like $28,000. I'm gonna give it to you to go preach the gospel. And I'm gonna move it and I'm gonna install it for you. I said, all right, that's good. You need a building. I don't know what possessed him. He goes back. I didn't tell him to go back. He goes back to the guy. He says, look, thank you for the trailer. I'm not asking for a freebie, but I need a trailer, man. I need a, he goes, just a minute, I'll be right back. Comes back, says, I've got a 16, 18 foot wide used mobile home. I'm going to give it to you to go preach the gospel. I said, I said, dude, go get me one. All right. <laughs> what are you doing? He goes to Kayanta, he calls me, he says, Pastor, you're not going to believe this. He said, I found the building that used to be the Potter's House so many years ago. It's a mobile home in the middle of the desert. I just found the owner. They gave it to me. <laughs> I'm telling you, more than enough. More than enough. What was it? It was his character. That when he decided he was going to fix the one talent problem, the attitude problem, the indulgence problem. God did a miracle for him. I'd like every head bowed and every eye closed.